How's it going, faith family? It's good to see you. If you've got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, continuing uh, this morning in our series. We've been in now several weeks called All Sides of the Savior. We're uh, looking at the humanity of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Uh, been very encouraged by the response that I've received. Uh, I sometimes will share uh, emails from time to time. Um, always encourage you to write uh, emails, talk about how uh, things are uh, impacting your life. And we prefer the good emails, okay? Uh, so feel free to send any of those. And I got this email this week uh, from about the series that just encouraged me. It said, I've been attending Berean for a short time. Uh, yet feel like years of progress are being made. The sides of the Savior has been a life-altering, and it's led to real-life change for me. I feel like God, through His Word, has taken a giant hammer to my hard, calloused heart. I can't wait until the next Sunday. Now, at Berean, we call that lives transformed by the power of the gospel. Uh, that, that the Word of God impacts our life and it changes us. And that shouldn't surprise us because in this series in particular, although we do this all the time at Brian, we're just shining the spotlight on Jesus. And we're looking at all different sides of the Savior uh, from the Scriptures. And so we've looked at things like the fact that Jesus was completely human, uh, righteously angry, unquestionably alive, extravagantly generous, authentically tempted, fearlessly honest. And this morning, what I want us to look at here in Matthew 26 is that Jesus, in his humanity, lived totally surrendered, totally surrendered. And we see that here on full display in Matthew 26 and beginning at verse 36. If you're able to stand, would you please do so as we honor the reading of God's word? Let's look here. Matthew 26, verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very, very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, pray with me. Pray for me. Let's ask God to teach us more about our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to be together in this moment. Thank you for the life change that's happening because of your work in this place, and we are really grateful for that. So would you come once again and help us understand more of what it means to be human? 
Because as we've been looking at the humanity of Jesus, we're beginning to understand what humanity was created to be and how we were created to live. So come and teach us. Come and talk to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. It was a moment that the world of golf would always remember. Uh, It took place at the historic uh, Carnoustie Golf Club in Scotland. Uh, It was the home of the 1999 British Open. And the reason why it was so memorable, so historic, was there was a Frenchman there uh, by the name of Jean Vandeveld. Uh, He comes up to the 18th hole on the very final day of the tournament, and he's in the lead. And he's literally just 480 yards away from his first major championship, a really large paycheck, uh, a, a trophy with his name on it, and his name forever in the history of golf. When he walks up to the 18th tee, On the final day, his lead is so big that he can make a double bogey and still win the tournament. That's two strokes over par for those of you that don't follow golf. I mean, I can double bogey. I've double bogeyed a lot of times in my golf career, okay? This is not a problem. All you have to do is take your six, uh, smile for the cameras, get your trophy, and walk off into the sunset. So he comes up to the 18th tee, and he grabs driver. And even the announcer's like, that's not the right club. (laughs) Like, there's no reason that you should use driver on this hole, and he does, and this is what happens. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, 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 you lucky little rascal. And that bounce and seemed to go way to the right. All right, so he pushes his drive, but don't panic, Faith family, right? He's got 240 yards left, and he's got plenty of strokes to spare. So we're still in this. We got this. All you have to do, totally simple. Next thing is just hit a nice, simple shot into the fairway. But whatever you do, don't go for the green, and he pulls out his two iron and goes for the green. The Here's clock. what happens. Maybe aiming at the bunkers. First tee. Well, you do. I don't believe this. Well, hello. <laughs> what is going on here? Now he is in grass so tall it would cover the refrigerator in a redneck's front yard. I mean, he is in big time trouble here. But still, we, we, got, we got plenty of strokes. There's no reason to panic. Just take a deep breath. All you've got to do is lay up. Just hit a nice, easy shot back into the fairway. But whatever you do, don't go for the green. He goes for the green. For the front of the green. Here's what happens. Yeah, it must be. I don't believe it. This is. Now he's in the water. But even still, I mean, he had a big enough lead that he still got the strokes to spare. And so all you've got to do, take your drop, lose your stroke, get up and down, and you're still going to be the British Open Championship. Whatever you do, don't try to play it 
from the water. We've seen a few miscues and mishaps in our golfing careers, but oh, Jean, Jean, Jean. <laughs> uh, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? No, Jean, please. Would somebody kindly go and stop him? Give him a large brandy and mop him down. When the announcer is ordering you an alcoholic beverage, you are in bad shape, okay? Would somebody just go stop him? Well, he does come to his senses and he takes the drop, but his next shot ends up in the sand. Long story short, Vandervelle ends up with a triple bogey. Forces a playoff and loses the championship. They say golf is a lot like spandex shorts. It tends to reveal things about you most people really don't want to see. <laughs> you just think about that for a little bit, all right? But the truth of the matter is, I bet most of us here today can relate to him. I don't mean that you've lost a major championship on the final hole and your life got reduced down to a sermon illustration. I mean, you can relate to being in a situation where you refused to surrender your pride. You refused to do it any other way but your way. You relied way too much on your strength and you ended up making a mess. Can anybody relate to this? It goes like this. All you had to do was say, I'm sorry. But no, 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 no. You had to pull driver out of the bag and cause an argument. All you had to do was keep your big mouth shut. But no, you had to pull the two iron out and get the last word. All you needed was just a little bit of patience, a little bit of patience, but no, no, no. You had to go for the green and take control. All you had to do was just let it be, but you had to send that email anyways. All you had to do was surrender to God, but not you. You had to do it your way. Faith family, why is it so hard to leave the driver in the bag? Answer, pride, 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 pride. One author says it this way. Most Americans believe a few simple propositions. Choice is a good thing, and the more you have it, the better you are. Authority is inherently suspect, and no one should have the right to tell others how to think or behave. In other words, we Americans love our independence, and we think the more independence we have, the happier we will be. But this is what you've got to understand this morning. This is what we have to wrap our mind around. Self Reliance may be American, but it is not human. Self-reliance may be American. It may be what we value. It may be the air we breathe, but it isn't human. You say, what do you mean it isn't human? Here's what I mean. Humanity was not created to rely on self. Humanity was created to live surrendered to God. 
Human beings, you, me, we were created not to rely on self, not to depend upon our strength. We were created in the very beginning to live surrendered, in submission to a good and faithful and loving God. That is exactly, I mean exactly what we see in our Savior here in Matthew 26. Look at it. It, it. it is beautiful. Jesus, verse 36, went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him, so as he's going, Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. This is happening, you know the context, right out of the institution of the Lord's Supper in the upper room. It's right before Jesus is about to be betrayed and, and, and arrested. And he's there in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. And, and he leaves some of the disciples over here and he begins to, to walk away. And as he's walking away, the text says something hits him. Has something ever hit you? Like you're just going along and all of a sudden you feel weak. All of a sudden you get dizzy. All of a sudden you got this sick feeling like somebody just flipped a light switch on and all of a sudden something's come upon you. Well, something has come upon Jesus to the point that the text says he is greatly distressed. It means a shock of terror shoots through him. He is sorrowful, that is, he's afflicted beyond measure. He's troubled. There's this internal conflict that begins to take place. In Luke's account, we discover this, verse 43, that it was so bad there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I mean, we, most of us, we know this story, but this isn't how we tend to think about Jesus. When we think about the sides of the Savior, we don't tend to think of Jesus as weak. We tend to think of Jesus as being strong. We think of Jesus as making the lame walk, not being unable to walk himself. We think of Jesus celebrating the, the Passover, uh, not being in intense sorrow and agony. W what's causing Jesus to experience this turmoil. Some have suggested that the, the reality of the cross is starting to, to set in. The, the imminent death that's about to happen is beginning to be realized here with Jesus. But I don't think that's the case at all. Jesus has already talked about his death very openly, even in this chapter. Go back to chapter one. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And look at verse uh, 28. This is during the, the Lord's Supper. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I don't think Jesus is upset here about the crucifixion. He's very well aware of that. He's been talking openly about that. I don't think that's what hits him. And some might say, well, maybe it's the realization that he's about to be betrayed by his closest friends. The people that he's, 
entrusted himself to, that he's done ministry with, they're, they're about to stab him in the back. Yeah, but Jesus is pretty open about that as well. Look back at verse 33. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus is very open about this. So what is, what's causing this anguish? Why so much sorrow? Well, Jesus tells us what's troubling him in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. In other words, Jesus here is not feeling anguish because of a cross. He's not feeling anguish because of the betrayal of close friends. It's something about this cup. In fact, this is what Jesus is asking here. He's saying to the Father, is there a way to accomplish the cross without drinking the cup? Can we have a cross without the cup? So what is the cup? Isaiah 51 verse 17 Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his, say it, wrath. Jeremiah 25, verse 15. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of, say it, wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Revelation 14, 10. He will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. In other words, the cup is the wrath of God, the wrath of his Father. As Jesus is walking away from the disciples, what comes upon him is not, oh, I'm about to be betrayed. Oh, no, no, no. It's not, oh, I'm about to go through agony of crucifixion. No, those are not what ultimately gets Jesus. It's not just the fact that he's about to face death. It's not just the fact that he's about to be physically beaten. It's not just the fact that he will be betrayed by his closest friends. It's that he will drink the cup of the all-consuming wrath of his father, that the one who knew no sin would be made to be sin, making him the target of his father's vindication. Romans 3 says, for God put Christ forth as a sacrifice for our sins to prove that he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. And the very thought of even drinking a drop of that cup almost killed him in the garden. And he pleads, Father, can we have a cross without a cup? Is there another way? Can the cup pass? And I wonder what that dialogue must have been like. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have heard that conversation between the son and the father. What did the father say to the son in this moment? And we don't know what the father said to the son. Anything that we would say would be speculation except for this. We know this much, that God so loved you, he said no 
It cannot pass. You must drink every drop. Jesus' response is, but I'm American. I've got rights, fine. I'll do it my way. I'll do my own thing. I'll do my own will. I will rely on myself. Had Jesus said that, you'd be in hell right now. Jesus instead said this, verse 39. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, it's not as I will. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's what you will. Later on, he will say, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Faith family, this is not some kind of empty rhetoric, some kind of nice cliche to kind of add on the end of your prayer to make it sound spiritual. Jesus is really struggling He's really, really afraid. The one who has been in eternal communion with the Father is about to face the wrath of his Father. He is weak. He's in agony. And yet in it all, surrenders. Total surrender to the Father. And you are intended to see in the text the contrast of that with the disciples. Look back, for instance, in verse 33. We just read this a moment ago. Peter answered him. By the way, talk about always taking the driver out of the bag. That's Peter. I know I'm on the green, but I think driver would be perfect because I can do this. It's all about my strength. Oh, listen, what does he say? If they all fall away... I never will, because I'm American. I can rely on me. I can do it in my strength. I've got this. And then look at verse 40. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? What happened to all that do-it-yourself? What happened to all that strength you had? I thought you could do this, and you couldn't even make it an hour. If you've zoned out, zone back in to hear this, please. You've got to see this contrast. The disciples think they're strong, so they depend on their strength only to prove how weak they really are. Jesus is truly weak and he surrenders to the Father and finds strength. you got to see that contrast. The ones that think they're strong get proven to be weak. And the one who's weak yet surrenders to the Father finds strength. Oh, Jesus knew that in the hour of his greatest crisis, deepest sorrow, the moment of his most intense agony, listen, faith family, the position of strength is the one of surrender. The position of strength is one of surrender. And how could Jesus do this? How could he be so totally surrendered to the Father in this moment? Well, I would argue this, that Jesus was totally surrendered at the end because he was totally surrendered all along. 
Listen to how Jesus describes his life. I wonder if you would describe your life in a similar way. John 4, 43. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My life is not about me. It's about the Father and what the Father has given me to do. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love me. No, I want the world to know I love the Father. I want to speak on behalf of the Father. I want to do what the Father wants me to do. I want to fulfill all that the Father has commanded. I want the world to know I live surrendered. Peter will say it this way about Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And I know, because some of you are still like trying to get your mind around this. I've been talking about this every week in this series, and you're going to say, well, yeah, but Jesus is God. Of course he surrenders. Yeah, but uh, this isn't about his divinity. He is God. He's fully God, eternally God. But this isn't about his divinity. This is about his humanity. And you say, well, what does, what does surrender have to do with humanity? Why have you been saying stuff like uh, self-reliance may be American, but it's not human? Here's why. Because humanity, all the way in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, was not created to live according to their own way. They were created to live God's way. Amen. In fact, it was their lack of submission, it was their their self-reliance, it was their unwillingness to surrender that brought sin in. The thing that made a mess of it all was them saying, we're going to do it our way. We're going to rely on it. We want independence. But you weren't created to live that way. You weren't created to find joy there. You weren't created to find peace there because what it means to be human from the very beginning of humanity is living surrendered to God. Think about just the parallels here between the first Adam in Genesis and the ultimate Adam, the ultimate human in Jesus. Adam was put in a garden. He's told to obey about a tree, that is, don't eat. If he obeys, he lives, but he refuses to surrender. Jesus is put in a garden. He is told to obey about a tree, the cross. If he obeys, he will die, but you will live. And he surrenders. Not my will but yours. Here's the contrast. Adam lived, my will be done. Jesus lived, your will be done. Because that's what it means to be truly human. It is why Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He tells his disciples If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, surrender all, 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake is going to find it. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you really want life? Do you, do you want real life? It comes through surrender. Self-reliance is going to lead to death. Surrendering to Jesus is what brings life. It's why he teaches us to pray this way. Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Everybody say this next phrase with me because it's really good for your soul, okay? Your will be done. Did you feel human in that moment? You should because that's how you were created to live. Not my will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is not only an act of worship, it is an act of surrender to God. It is a recognition, a good, joyful, peaceful, human recognition that says, I can't rule my money. I, I can't rule my marriage. I can't make decisions. I can't lead a church. I can't run a business. I can't love my kids. I can't do any of that in my own strength. I need you. I surrender. And while I remain active in those things, I'm trusting you. I want to do this for you. I want to do this with the strength that you provide me. I want your will to be done in my life. That's human. That is what we see in our Savior. Gary Thomas says, Christian health is not defined by how happy you are or how prosperous you are or how many people you've led to the Lord this past year. Christian health is ultimately defined by how sincerely we wave the flag of surrender. Christian health, do you want to know if you're healthy spiritually? It's defined by how sincerely we wave the flag of surrender. Charles Stanley says it this way, surrender for a general means defeat, but surrender for the Christian is victory. Amen? Surrender for the Christian is victory. What is it today that you need to surrender? There are some of you here and you're not a Christian. You've never surrendered your life. You've never stepped down off the throne of your life to say, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I turn from my sin and I say, Jesus, would you be king? Would you be Lord of my life? I surrender to you today. Some of you, you are a Christian, but there's areas in your life you're doing it entirely on your own strength. You are pulling the driver out of the bag every time. I got this, I'll do this. And you wonder why things are such a mess. Maybe some of you, you're, you're still trying to earn God's love and you think that what you do defines how much he loves you and, and you just need to realize, listen, he drank the cup so that you could enjoy God's love. He drank the cup so that you could enjoy God's love and know that it is finished. You don't have to earn his love. You can surrender and receive it. What is it today in your life or about your life that you need to say, not my will, but your will? Faith family, I am never going to be able to relate to what it's like to 
Peyton Manning to throw a football. I'm never going to understand or be able to relate to that. I'm never going to be able to understand or relate to what it's like for LeBron James to shoot a basketball. But here's one thing I can relate to. Vandeveld. I totally can relate to that because I know what it's like to be on the fairway of life doing things my own way. I know what it's like, and I bet you do too, to rely way too much on my strength, only to make a mess of things. So today, here's my challenge. Let's be a little less American and a little more human. A little less self-reliance and a little more total surrender. Let's be like our Savior, a man who lived the human life from beginning to end, not with the mindset of my will be done, but with a mindset of your will be done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you that week after week we're beginning to understand what it really means to be human. Because I know that we're all going to walk out today and live in a culture that's going to reinforce the exact opposite. Our culture is going to say it's all about independence and standing up for yourself and being your own man or being your own woman. It's all about uh, just you living life on your own. And that's not how humanity was created to live. We were created to surrender to you. We were created to live a life that is all about you. And that's actually for our good. It's for our joy. It's what brings peace. In Jesus' greatest point of agony and sorrow, peace, strength came in surrender. Help us, God. Follow that road and surrender today whatever it is that you've laid on our heart. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you?